Father, we thank you for um, the worship that we had this morning through song. And God, it's, it's fun to sing these songs that are, are tied to this Christmas time that reminds us of the gift that you are to us um, and the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> and the redemption and forgiveness of sins and eternal life that you've given to us. And Father, as we worship and remember, we also, God, each one of us, without a doubt, have people in our lives whom we love who have yet not received this gift of your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this time of year, um, even though the world tries to commercialize it and pervert it and, and, and to take away from the true meaning of why we celebrate this time of year. Father, we pray that you would intervene into the lives of those who we love with truth, that they would see your great love that you have for them, and Lord, that they too would um, come to know that they would turn from their sins, turn from you, that they would be saved from hell. Father, that they would be given newness of life in you and hope for eternal life in you and assurance, God, um, of, that, of that forgiveness of sins because of what you've done. May they come to know you, Father, through this season. Um, and Lord, we pray you would do a good work because we all are our hearts, Father. As we rejoice, we also are, 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 are sad and worried and concerned about them. And you tell us, Lord, to bring these concerns before you. So we ask, God, that you would save them. Lord, we thank you for our time to be able to study your word together and um, to see the, um, your word come alive um, in our lives. And Lord, we know that um, you know where each one of us are at. And so by your spirit, I pray you would teach us through your word the truth, God, that is found in it. And Lord, for the Grandview Christian Church here in town that also meets at 10 o'clock and in the middle of their time together, we know, Lord, that they're going through a discipleship series on Sunday morning as Pastor Todd's taking him through that. And just pray that you would give him wisdom by your spirit, Lord, that it would be your word speaking truth through him. We pray for his marriage, for Todd and, and Tara, his wife, and their marriage to strengthen it, Lord. Uh, give them unity in you and make them a, a light and a witness to others around you of your great love um, as they show great love to each other. And we pray for Pastor Shane and his wife Jade and their kids and um, Lord, we give you thanks for them too. And as Pastor Todd turns 50, Lord, here shortly, we pray you would bless him. We pray you would give him good health so that he may serve you for many more years. And for our brothers and sisters that go to that church that are gathered together today, we pray your protection over them, pray provision over them, and we pray, God, that you would fill their hearts with joy today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to close this chapter out this morning. We're going to pick back up in verse uh, 25, and uh, we're going to finish reading and studying through um, this chapter. But before we continue um, th through, hang on, I want to stop. I wanted to, okay, stop there, hold, pause. Um, I, I just need to do this, and every once in a while I'll do it. Two things that you guys can be praying for and what God's doing. Like I said last week, um, we put a piece of property under contract um, outside of Florence towards Wetmore, um, a 38-acre parcel of land. We're calling it a ranch. Um, I know some of you guys like ranching, a ranch is 1,000 acres or more or whatever. It's a ranch for us. And we're, we're moving the U-Turn for Christ Ministry of Restoration, which is a ministry for men who have addictions. Um, it was a, we house them um, and... Um, uh, minister to them, disciple them, and then help them find jobs and get plugged back into society where they can be fathers and, and husbands. Again, 
And, and it's a ministry of restoration because we know that the only hope we have is Jesus Christ. And no matter what our problems, whatever addictions we have, he sets us free from those things. And, and so the, currently we had moved that ministry about four years ago to Colorado Springs. Um, there now we do have the financing and, and funds and support to move to uh, a, a ranch. Um, and God provided this place outside of Florence. Um, we're under contract. We're supposed to close towards the end of January. And we're taking a huge step of faith because we're taking a construction-style loan on it where we're building right now a 30-bed bunkhouse with a large meeting room for the services that they'll do there. And um, uh, we're taking a step of faith because we've not closed on the property, yet we've broken ground on this uh, construction of the property. And um, we've done that. <laughs> Um, in faith, but God's led, God's provided, God's opened the door, um, and uh, so uh, pray for that. Uh, the cool thing about it is um, the men from the ministry are working alongside guys from this fellowship as we uh, do the construction of that project, and it's a really, really cool thing to work with them and help them do this, but be praying for that, and also be praying for the Bridge Youth Center. We've seen some really incredible fruit um, within the lives of the kids. Last yesterday, the Lori and um, uh, Beth, I don't know if there was any other leaders there. Weren't one of you guys there yesterday too? Yeah, and Stephanie, okay. Huh? Kathy, okay. Well, a bunch of the ladies got together with some of the girls that come to the Bridge Youth Center, about 20 of them, and they made Christmas cookies together so that they could take them to their families. And a lot of these kids... Um, would never get to experience that because of the kind of homes that they're from. So they got to learn how to bake and make Christmas cookies and have gifts to give. And really, guys, what I mean by fruit and what's really taking place is, is the kids uh, are coming to us. They want us to be involved in their lives. There's relationships that have been established. And I had a really awesome opportunity last Friday night where I got to sit down with a, a girl who has been very, very hard towards God, hard towards us, and really kind of spiteful and in our face with some of the behaviors and attitudes that she's had. And I got to read the Bible with her a little bit, and she didn't know it was the Bible. And she goes, yeah, that sounds right. And I said, yeah, that's because it's from the Bible. And she's all, really? <laughs> and, and, and it was a really, really cool thing just to open up God's word with her. And she didn't know it because it was on my phone, so I kind of tricked her a little bit. But um, that's happening with all the people who are down there volunteering, and God's doing a really cool work. And so keep praying for that ministry, because in both instances with the U-Turn for Christ ministry, the bridge ministry, the Bible tells us where there's great opportunity, there's much adversity. In other words, we have an enemy, an adversary who wants to come against that. And our, our, our battle is against flesh and blood. This is against spiritual things and principalities and the powers of darkness. But greater is he, right? Greater is he who is in us than he, the enemy who's in the world. But God says that we're to take the full armor of God and that we're to then pray. So please be lifting up the leadership, the volunteers uh, for protection and provision for the men in the ministry, the youth in the ministry, so that um, we'll have that protection so that as we're out there in the the battlefield will have victory. Um, also, the, with the U-Turn for Christ ministry, I want to remind you guys that the first Thursday of every month, our men's group takes a bunch of guys down, and we, we teach and we pray with the men in the ministry. I think we had about 12 go this last Thursday, um, and it was an awesome time of fellowship for the guys that go, but an awesome time of fellowship with the men in the ministry. 
and, and here's what I needed when I first gave my life to the Lord, and I still need it even more so now today. I just didn't realize it as much as I realize it now. I need other men to walk with me through this life, guys who will encourage me, guys who will hold me accountable, guys who will say, hey, I've been down that road. You don't want to go down that one. You know, that one ends in bad and in a bad place. And, and that's what the U-turn for Christ's ministry is, a ministry of discipleship, a ministry of restoration. And unless guys who love Jesus are, are, are if, they're not, if we're not willing to come alongside one another, come alongside guys who are struggling, like in the U-turn for Christ for ministry, it makes it real hard. We're not called to walk down this road alone. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, right, that two are better than one. And that that threefold cord, when God's in the middle of it, it's something that can't be unbroken. And I love this church fellowship because, you know what, we do walk together. We do life together, and God's the most important. So continue to do that. Continue to look for opportunities to do that. And, and by opportunity, you can either come and be a part of these things or eat through, through physical presence and, and help, or, or more importantly, just through your prayers. So there you go. All right, back to Luke chapter 2. <laughs> so... Chapter 2, verse 25, and, and as we go into this, I want to remind you that up to this point, Luke has accounted for us some, some key events, and, and Debbie read again uh, the Christmas story passage, if you will, uh, uh, and, and those are some of the events that took place that we've read about, not, not only... Um, events that took place before the birth of the Messiah, you know, with Joseph and Mary traveling to, to Bethlehem from Nazareth and, and, and no room for them in the inn and baby Jesus being born in the manger, those kinds of events, but also significant events that coincided with his birth. And these events that we read about and studied about have been given to us by Luke, who's given us this orderly account because they validate and, uh, who this baby was in, in, in fulfillment of prophecy, which we've looked at, but it also reveals to us, and this is where the application side of it's come into our lives, because it's revealed to us and continues to reveal to us the divine work that he, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, had been sent to do. These events that we're reading about, they, they validate and reveal. And in these verses, we read and that uh, we read and studied about even last week, four of them, 21 through 24. Um, Luke recorded additional events, events that were of great significance um, that took place in the life of the baby through uh, Joseph and Mary's intervention because he's a, he was an infant, but, but things that took place in the life of this baby short, shortly after his birth, which we talked about was really the beginning of the work that the Messiah had been sent to do. Okay, uh, this, the first was his circumcision. If you were here last week, you know. If not, um, you can get the study online if you wish to, to hear more about it. But in regards to his circumcision that took place eight days after his birth, that was the first of the works that the Messiah did for our behalf, and we enter into that work through our faith. But also a second event that took place 32 days after the circumcision, uh, a 40-day period of purification after that when Joseph and Mary then traveled to Jerusalem um, entered into the temple and, and, and offered a sacrifice, the sacrifice of redemption on behalf of this newborn Jesus in accordance to the law of God. Again, a fulfillment of it. And these two things, the circumcision and the sacrifice of redemption, were done to fulfill the law. And we know that Christ 
perfectly fulfilled the law. And in doing so, this points us again forward. We looked at that. It points us forward to the work, the divine work that Jesus came to do, the work of salvation, the work of restoration, and the work of redemption, which again is brought up at the end of this chapter that we're going to look at again this morning. Now, as we read on and finish this chapter, we're told about two individuals now, okay? Two individuals uh, who... I love this. They've been waiting a long time. And um, as some of you know, I do, uh, waiting a long time and waiting with great expectation for the arrival of the Savior. And, and as I was studying through this this week, I was, I just, God gave me this real life example of what this is like. There's a lady, I'm a, I'm a chaplain for hospice, and there's this lady who's 95 years old. And she is a dear saint. She has some dementia. She's struggling. And um, I go and I read scripture to her and I pray with her and I visit with her. And we read the Christmas story together this time. And, um, and when she got done, she's all, she basically, she's, she's, she, she was this, these people in this story. She's, I've been waiting a long time, not necessarily for the birth of Messiah, but she says, I'm waiting, I've been waiting a long time for the Lord to come and get me. She's ready to go to heaven. And even with her dementia, she's, she's, she's aware of her faith. She's aware of what Jesus has done with her. As a matter of fact, she says, I, never rem- I can't never remember a time when I wasn't a Christian. And, and I love that. She says, it's something I've always been. But she's, she's, she's longing and looking with great expectation for the arrival of her Savior, for the time when Jesus would come and take her and be with him, and she, and she said, I'm glad that you came today and we read this because that, that truth, which we talked about, she said, that changes the way I think. She said, not that I've been sad or depressed or I know that God loves me and, and all these things, but she says, it changes the way I think. And it's that hope that changes the way we think and helps us deal with the things in our lives. It's a great thing. And, and man, I was just, I told her, I said, man, it was just such a blessing to be here with you today because I got to see what we're reading out here played out. And I want that to happen for us today. I desire for that to happen in my own life, that the remembrance of these things, that, that are the hope that we have, the expectation of Jesus' return as these guys were waiting for him to come for the first time, we're waiting for him to come for the second time, waiting perhaps a long time with great hope and great expectation. Let it change the way you think about your circumstances, about your life, about your interactions, about your relationships. Let it change the way you think. And as we, as we read on and we, we, we remember that, that we have this great expectation for the arrival of our Savior and see it played out in the lives of these people who encounter the, the baby Jesus, you know, what we're told in this is we're told about their responses. And we see application into our own lives through that. We're told about the responses when they're finally able to put their eyes on the infant son of God. And this is a man, of course, by the name of Simeon and a woman by the name of Anna. And they had been looking, it says, for the Lord's Christ who would redeem his people. Then, um, and I don't know how much we'll get to this part, but then at the end of this chapter in verses 41 on through the end, Luke, what he'll do is he'll, he'll, he'll take a, a leap through time, uh, figuratively speaking, and he fast forwards in his writing 12 years and he reaccounts another time for us, another time, another event when Joseph and Mary uh, had traveled back to Jerusalem with Jesus 
uh, a time, uh, this time uh, to, uh, to celebrate the annual Passover feast and a time when Jesus um, was separated from Joseph and Mary. And we know that he was eventually found sitting in the midst of, of, of all the teachers there in the temple that would have been on the Temple Mount uh, on the east side, which is just past the, the entrance of the, of the Golden Gate, um, which today is sealed up in Jerusalem. And, and it's funny that it is because we're told when the Messiah returns, he can walk through that gate. And um, those walls that they built to close it up, it's not going to keep him out. But he, he's there at 12. He's in this place with the, with the, the teachers in the temple. And, and in light of these additional counts, what we see, guys, all of them put together, we see more evidence for us to support who Jesus is. Luke's building a testimony for us to support who Jesus is and what he had been sent to do. And my prayer this morning is that we would know Jesus more and that we would understand all that he has come to do for us. With that, in verse 25, guys, I'll read, and you can follow along. Chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, a just and devout, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, verse 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, this is Simeon, and blessed God and said, Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, now you, you might find this blessing and these words a little bit contradictory, but they're, it's really cool um, when we dig into them, but kind of sad on the surface. And so then Simeon said, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the, men, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And Father, I pray you would um, pierce our, our heart, our soul this morning with truth. God, cut away the flesh, the hard things in our life, Lord, that are still in resistance and rebellion to you. Lord, take away our pride. God, give us um, humility. Humility to walk in, so we're dependent. So God, we can be like Simeon in where we hear the Holy Spirit, where we follow the Holy Spirit's lead as, as you have put your Spirit in us, and we know, God, that your Spirit will come upon us for these things. I love it, God, that it, you tell us that you put your Spirit in us so that we may walk in your ways, so that we may um, live according to your judgments. And God, that it's you who does this work in us, Lord, what our job is to love you, to trust in you, to put our faith in you. And God, in the work that you have done and are doing and still 
promised to do in us. Lord, I'm grateful that you're the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. And so, Lord, do a good work in us this morning. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin to look at <coughs> these people who um, um, Luke introduces us to by the way of events that took place during this ceremony, during this sacrifice of redemption, I want to point out that the first thing that we're told about Simeon is that he was a just and devout man. A just and devout man who was waiting, it says, for the consolation of Israel. And this word consolation used in this context is, is really another title. It's a, another title that is given to us in order to describe the Lord's Christ, as is referenced in these verses, whom Simeon had been promised, to, had been promised or guaranteed to see before his, his death. Now, the Greek word for consolation, and I'm pointing this out in two forms. First of all, in its verb form, in, a, in its descriptive form, consolation, in its verb form in the Greek is the word parakaleo. And it, and it means to, to relieve. And often I'll refer to the Greek word um, in, in translation to the English word that we have here because the Old Testament, the New Testament was, was written in Greek. And the Greek wordage has lots of times a deeper, a fuller meaning than what our single English word can translate to. And so this word parakaleo in its verb form, it means to relieve, to encourage, and to strengthen by comfort. However, the Greek word um, for consolation, as it's used in this passage, it's, it's not presented in the verb form. It's not descriptive in, in, as a verb is. It's actually uh, in the noun form when you go back and look it up. And in the noun form, as it discerns a person, a place, or a thing, is the word parakalesis. And this is important for us to take note of because um, a characteristic of Jesus Christ is what's being revealed to us. You see? It's, 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 it's a characteristic, an, an attribute of Jesus that is being revealed to us when we are told that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he is, he is the consolation of Israel. He is the parakalesis. And, and, um, uh, and really what it is, is, is in this that Jesus, what we're being told is that he's the comforter. He's the comforter. And more importantly, he is the source. As we look at the definition in the noun form, he is the source. Jesus is the source where truly, true, true relief, true encouragement, and true strength comes from. And this is important to understand because there, there is something, guys, there's something that everyone in the world in some form or fashion is searching for, and it's this comfort. This comfort, as described here, is something that everyone in the world, in some form or some fashion, is searching for. And people turn to many things, right? And there are many people in the world, likewise, who are, who are capitalizing from this search that people are on. But the fact of the matter is, they can offer, if it's something in this world, they, what they're offering, what they're selling, can, can offer no true lasting relief, no true lasting encouragement, and no true strength with the comfort from the products that the people in this world are peddling, the things of this life. 
Yet when we come to Jesus, the paraclesis, we find, we find and receive true relief, true encouragement, and true strength to carry on through this life as we receive our comfort from him. Unfortunately, Jesus can be, I don't know about you, but for me, it's often true in my life that Jesus can be and often is one of the very last things that I or we will turn to when we're looking for some kind of relief, some kind of comfort, or some kind of strength, that strength to carry on. In fact, we can be like the unbelieving world and where we turn to and fill ourselves up with things of this world that will, as you know, and so do I, that will only end up further discouraging us no encouragement, things that will bring unrest into our lives, no true relief, and things that will make us feel like giving up, discouragement, right? Not encouragement all the more. Why? Because these things that promise this, they're, they're an illusion. They present something that they can't deliver, and if, if it does, it's only momentary. And it's like having the carpet being pulled out from underneath you when you put your faith in something that lets you down that doesn't give what it says it can give. Yet Jesus said about himself as the paraclesis, he, he contrasts this in Matthew chapter 11, verse, he actually completes it for us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, when Jesus said this. He said, speaking about the comforter, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And how is that? Because Christ has done everything for us. We enter into this rest that he's talking about, the encouragement, the strength, the relief to carry on. We enter into that through him as he transcends it and puts it into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simeon, who was waiting, it says here, for the consolation of Israel, he was waiting for the comforter, the one who would bring true and lasting comfort. It tells us here that he was an old man. He'd been waiting a long time. And church tradition tells us at this point, it's not in the Bible, so it's, 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 it's not unbiblical, it's just extra biblical. And the church tradition tells us that this guy who's accounted historically was 113 years old, patiently waiting. And he ultimately found, guys, I point that out because, because sometimes we wait a long time for things. We wait on the Lord. And, and I, I, waiting is a hard thing for me to do. I don't know about you, but waiting is a hard thing for me to do. When I go to the grocery store, I look for the shortest line. I don't like to wait. I mean, that's by nature. We're like that. And, and, but yet, Simeon, 113 possibly, he, he was waiting, and I point that out because he ultimately, guys, found the strength to carry on. And the Paul, Apostle Paul writes about this in regards to our own Christian relationship as we, with God as we, we are in this world. He says, we have need for endurance, right? We have need to carry on. We need strength to persevere at times as we wait for the Lord's return, as we walk in faithfulness. As servants of God who, who are obedient in him and walking in his will, we need strength. And, 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 and ultimately, Simeon, he found strength to carry on and he found rest for his soul. How? As he looked and waited for God's Messiah. That truth, that hope changed his thinking. It gave him strength to carry on. 
And he found his strength. He found his strength to live a just and righteous life that was devoted to God because he was a just and devout man. He found that strength to live this, this, this life of righteousness, this life of a, a, a just life that was devoted to God because, because he, fully, he had fully set his hope on the revelation that was given to him by the Holy Spirit, the promise that was given to him by the Holy Spirit, spoken of in verse 26, which was this, you will see the Savior before you die. I think that in light of this, it's worth pointing out that by this time, guys, there had to have been many rumors regarding the coming of the Messiah. Many rumors regarding the coming of the Messiah that Simeon surely would have heard by now. Remember back at the beginning of this book in Luke chapter 1, verse 65, we're told that the news of John the Baptist's birth and its meaning was widely publicized in that he had come to prepare the way for the Messiah. It tells us that it had been widely publicized. John the Baptist's birth <coughs> and what he had come to do. And the prophecies that were put forth by his father at the time of his own circumcision when his name was given to him. Furthermore, we know that the shepherds who had been, who had, that were in the field on the night of Jesus' birth who had heard the angelic announcement and had gone to see the baby Jesus in the Bethlehem, they also, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 17 of this chapter, it says they made widely known the things that they heard and seen. And I point this out because... What we see here in regards to Simeon, that it was not the rumors, but the Holy Spirit who was upon Simeon that led him into the temple on that day. That's what we're told here. So in addition to being a just and devout man, we see that Simeon was a man who was led by the Holy Spirit, both in, in the hearing of God's promises that had made, made to him, and then in being prompted to go to the temple at the right time. I don't know if you've heard that in here, but over and over again through the study already, that word time keeps coming up. And it's a reminder for us that God works on a time schedule. He has a plan. He has a plan for the world. And he has a plan for all of our lives. He had a plan for the Christ, the Messiah, and he had a plan for Simeon and where their lives would intersect perfectly at the right time. And it was because of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in light of the fact, in light of, of the fact that we are now, guys, we live in a time or in an age that's also referred to, often referred to as what? The information age, right? With the internet and the 24-hour TV news and all of social media. Guys, I point that out because we're constantly being bombarded with, with up-to-minute reporting, right? As it breaks, which can be false or fake, in order to bring forth a reaction. And I point that out because that's done. This information is bombarded upon us because it, 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 it can, and, and I'm, I'm, I mention that because the things that we hear, the things that we're told, the rumors, whatever they may be, they can move us out of God's will at times. Therefore, and, and I don't mean maybe to a physical place, but how about an emotional place where fear and worry come in, Right? Therefore, we should be careful to also be led by the Holy Spirit like Simeon. Are we being led by this Holy Spirit? Is that who is guiding our steps, the way we're, where we walk, where we go, what we do? 
Because when we're moved by what we see on the internet or on the TV or by social media, you know, we can be taken to a place that is filled with doubt and fear. Look at the whole world today. So many people are, are, live in that place of doubt and fear, no assurance. But guys, I'm here to tell you this morning that we, when we, like Simeon, are led by the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? There's a peace. There's a peace as we are always moved into a place of God's will and a place of God's blessing. That's, the, that's, that's always where the Holy Spirit will take us. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul because there was a time in his life, even when the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, he tells us, it's in the book of Ephesians, where he, he's talking to the Ephesians elders and they're trying to stop him from going into Jerusalem. And Paul said, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's told me what's gonna happen to me when I get there, that I'm gonna be led there, I'm gonna be taken there, and these things are gonna happen. And things that might cause a person to fear. They weren't good things the Holy Spirit had, 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 had revealed to him. But Paul said, listen, None of these things are going to move me because God has led me. God has shown me. God has put this path before me. And because Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit, even when he knew that there was danger ahead, he still had a peace to carry on and a, a, a resolve to go, none of these things move me. I have no fear. And I love that because as we look at Simeon's example here, we see this. Again, and as a result of being led by the Holy Spirit, uh, Simeon, first of all, he encountered Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Doesn't that get any better than that? And that's how all of us have come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is we've been led by the Holy Spirit. And, and that same Holy Spirit, as we even prayed this morning for our loved ones who are still walking on their own, apart from God's will, apart from God's salvation, the Holy Spirit's drawing them guiding them, leading them too, into that encounter with Jesus. And, and um, in verse 29, as a result of this, he, Simeon, rightly declared that he could now depart in peace. How many of you feel that way as a result of your salvation, the assurance that now you can depart in peace? That's an awesome thing. And as, as we look at Simeon's example, we see that it's the same for all of us today and that as we allow for the Holy Spirit to lead us, guys, not just, not just into the next life, but for this life and through this life, as, he, as we allow for the Holy Spirit to lead us into our ongoing faith encounter with Jesus, it will produce, it'll produce the same results for us. Why? Because we have an encounter with Jesus Christ as a result of it, Jesus Christ who is the paraclesis. And as a result of that, we find rest for our soul, strength to live a just and righteous life that is devoted to God, and a peace that surpasses the understanding of our circumstances, of our situation, of the world we live in, a peace that fills our heart as a result of seeing and receiving the salvation that God has brought to us through his son, Jesus. Now, the words of Simeon in verses 29 through 35, as we read on here, which came as a result of having seen God's promises, it's both a prayer to God and it's a prophecy. We're going to look at this. And this passage of Scripture is called the, nu the, the Nuctimits, which is Latin for now let depart. 
And it's taken from the first part of Simeon's prayer in verse 29 where he prayed and he said, Lord, he said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And in light of this, I believe it's necessary to point out how important it is for every person to receive the salvation of God that Jesus brings before they depart from this life. Because if a person departs from this life and enters into the next without putting their faith in Jesus and receiving the grace and forgiveness of God, they'll never have any peace. In fact, they will depart from this life in fear as they go to stand before the Almighty God and and stand there to face his judgments apart from the sacrifice that Jesus has made for them. But guys, whoever has seen and received the salvation that God has prepared for them, there's no reason to fear. No reason to fear the life that's to come and no reason to fear anything that is in this life. And in light of this, we'd notice the, we should notice that, that in this prayer, Simeon points out that the salvation God that God has prepared, he said, is before the face of all people. I love that. God's not exclusive in his salvation. It's before the face of all people. And he even goes on to clarify it in, in a little further. He says, before Jews, all the Jews, and the Gentiles as well. The whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, we're told. And his salvation has been prepared before the face of all people, meaning God is willing to save any and every person who will believe in his son Jesus and accept that gift of salvation. Any and every person. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. And this is why Jesus said what I just quoted to you in John chapter six, 3, verses 16 through 18. This is why he said about himself that I'd come to save the world, not to condemn the world, the whole world. And all you have to do is believe in me. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what I've done for you. But even though God's desire is for every person to receive his son an acceptive gift of salvation, uh, not all will. We know this. It's God's desire, it's God's will for it, but not all will. In Simeon's words of prophecy that followed in verses 34 through 35, he points it out. And in these verses, there are three things that Simeon prophesied um, to Mary about her baby. Then look, the first is in verse 34 where he said this. He said that, that Jesus was destined for the rise and the fall of many. In other words, Jesus is the means, right, by which some are brought down or the means by which others are lifted up. And, and, and to those who reject Jesus, Scripture tells us that he is literally a rock that offends because he causes them to stumble and to fall. And, and I, I picture that as someone walking down the road unaware of what's going on, and they, they trip and fall over this stone, the stone of offense. And, 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 and Jesus is this for some. But to those who believe, Jesus is a precious stone. The same stone that can be an offense to one is a precious stone to others because this stone of Christ, this rock of Christ, is one by which a person can also build their life upon and be lifted up and receive the saving grace and mercy of God. The apostle Peter put it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, and he said this, it's a little bit of uh, uh, scripture here to read, but he said, as you come to him, guys, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood and to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, or Scripture tells us, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Not just any stone, he says a cornerstone. A cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, Paul, Peter writes, and he says, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who will not believe, the stone that the builder has rejected, or the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Truth about who Jesus is. The second thing that Simeon prophesied, which is also in verse 34, is that Jesus, if you'll see there, was designed to be a sign that would be spoken against. Now that, that seems kind of backwards because if you see a sign that says 55 and you're going down the highway and you get pulled over and you speak against that sign, do you think it makes a difference to the officer? <laughs> it's like <laughs> a sign reveals what is true, right? Danger ahead, curve ahead. You know, whatever we see these signs in our life, it doesn't have to be a road sign. Sometimes God's given us signs that we, that we speak against. And, and this, is, this seems to be a contradictory statement or an unprofitable thing, but we see truth in it when we see that he was to be a sign that was being spoken against. And the word sign that is used here is the Greek word semion. And it means this, that by which a person or a thing is distinguished from others and is known. Might even be like a label, right? Identifies. But it's, it's not identifying to itself, it's identifying to another thing. It's pointing us to something and revealing something to us. And what Simeon's saying is here is this is who the Christ is, this is who the Messiah is, but he's going to be spoken against. People are going to say, that's not a true sign. And with this word, Simeon was saying, literally was saying that Jesus, who is the sign by which God is made known, that he would be spoken against and he would be re rejected, the Messiah, the Savior. And as we continue through the book of Luke, we're going to learn, we're going to see, we're going to read over and over again that when people saw Jesus, they either had one or two of responses. Either they worshiped and adored him as the only begotten Son of God who is the expressed image of God, or they spoke against him and they rejected him. Two groups. And in doing so, those who rejected Jesus spoke against the signs, right? They spoke against the signs. They spoke against, first of all, his virgin birth and said that he was conceived as the result of fornication, fornication and he, he, did not know who his, he did not know who his father was. They spoke against that. They also spoke against the miracles that Jesus performed, and they said, oh, they're done in the power of Satan. They mocked and ridiculed him, calling him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They spoke reviling words against him, even while he hung on the cross as God's sacrifice for our sin. And in the end, they, even some who spoke against this sign of Jesus Christ, they spoke lies about his resurrection, saying his disciples had stole his body. 
In every way, they spoke against Jesus who came to reveal God to us and, in, and to restore us back to him. And guys, I point this out not only because Simeon mentioned it here. It's not, just, it's not just for the time in which Christ walked the earth because this same kind of thing goes on today. And when a person rejects Jesus today, they're doing the very same things. They're speaking against the signs. That clearly reveals who Jesus is and who God is and what God has done and how he loves them. Yet, according to what Simeon said at the end of verse 35, it's what people say about Jesus, guys. It matters. This is the most important thing. You want to know about a person? Ask them what they say about Jesus. Seriously. Because it matters. What do they say about Jesus? And Simeon said, what people say about Jesus, ultimately, his life, his death, and his his resurrection, it reveals what is really inside a person's heart. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, John addresses this when he says to the church, he says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And he even goes one step further. He says, he's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And what people say about Jesus reveals who they are in their heart. It exposes now, the last thing that Simeon prophesied about was the pain. And that's, this is kind of where it seems like where it says Simeon spoke a blessing and then there's all this ugh, hard stuff being said to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he prophesied, what he prophesied about the last thing was about the pain that Mary would feel as a result of the rejection and suffering that she would see her son go through. And it's important for Mary to know, it was important for Mary to know that, that mothering the Messiah would bring both great joy and great sorrow as it was both a great privilege and a great burden, right? And for those of us who have children, we understand to some degree, maybe not to the same degree that Mary went through, certainly not, but we understand that parenting brings with it times of great joy, but it also does it not bring forth times of great sorrow, and, and Mary had to have felt like, like truly like this sword that, that Simeon spoke about. She had to feel like a sword was piercing through her soul as she watched her son be rejected and despised by so many. And she had to feel ultimately like that sword was piercing her soul when she stood before the cross, looked up to see her son who had been beaten beyond recognition, dying as he hung on the cross. Now, I think it's safe to say that this prophetic news that was given by Simeon had to have been a shocking and distressing thing. This was a day of joy. They had taken their son to the temple. And there was joyful things immersed in this prophetic word that was spoken and things that took place. But this word had to have been distressing for Mary. And I believe this is why God in his perfect timing, it says in an instant Anna came in at that time when these prophecies were being made, and then she began to give thanks to God for Jesus. And if you look with me in verse 36, we read about it now, the second encounter with this other person, and it says, now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was, I might add the word also, she was of great age and had lived with a husband 70 years, seven years, excuse me, from her virginity. 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So in other words, she was married for seven years, her husband died, and then now for an additional 84 years, uh, she's been a widow. And she, it says, one who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in, here it is, and coming in, in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all of those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So verse 39, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Just so you know, we're not going to get any further than that this morning. But like Simeon, okay, like Simeon, we see that Anna, and I love this because in Scripture, names reveal a lot about what's going on, and, and um, God directs us to certain things. So you see these hard things go on. You see Anna come in at that instant. She begins to give thanks to God. And Anna, whose name means grace, brought grace into the situation, God's grace. And we see that she was an incredibly godly woman as she is characterized as a woman of fasting, a meaning of worship, really. worship. Fasting is worship, and she's a woman of worship and of prayer who had devoted her life to serving God in the temple. And when you do the math, it appears that at this time she was somewhere around also very elderly, 104 years old. And for 84 of these years, she had devoted herself to the serving of God, to the service of God. Yet, the fact that she came in when Simeon was praying and prophesying over the infant Messiah and began to give thanks to God in light of what she had heard um, had to have been a comforting thing for Joseph and Mary. Because as she gave thanks to God and began to testify of what she had heard, it was a reminder that this Christ, this Jesus, the son who was now there in the arms of Simeon, was destined to be this catalyst in the lives of every person. That he was also God's greatest gift to mankind. That was what Anna brought into the equation. And, and Anna's giving thanks to the Lord for this, for this gift was a reminder of the awesome and wonderful things that God had done by sending his son to save us. That was a joy. And the fact that she testified to those who had been looking for the redemption of God, as it was said here, was also a reminder of the fact that Jesus, who is the comforter, who is the paraclesis, that he's also the redeemer. Debbie, if you and the worship team want to come up, guys, we're going to wrap it up with this. And in light of this, I want to, we should remember Galatians. We've, we've read this once before, this passage of Scripture, uh, as we've been looking at Christ being the Redeemer. But it's, it's, it, it's, it's good to read it again, Galatians 3, verses 13 through 14. Because what I told you is that these events, these words that were spoken, these encounters, they reveal to us more of who Christ is. And when we see who Christ is and the work that he's done, we see the application into our own lives and what we enter into through him by our faith. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, it reminds us of this, this Jesus, our Jesus, our Savior being our Redeemer. And it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, coming, by becoming the curse for us. 
He redeemed us, literally purchased us with his own life from the curse of the lobby becoming a curse for us. It wasn't like it just wiped it away. He took that, that cur- the curse that was on us and brought it on himself. He took our sin and bore it upon himself. He took our unrighteousness and bore it upon himself. And in doing so, he exchanged his righteousness to us. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He, Paul writes, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, that covenantal covering and promise, he said that that he, he redeemed us in order that that blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So as we close this morning, I ask, is he your redeemer? Is he your redeemer? Guys, as we move closer to Christmas and remember the gift that Jesus is to us, I want to remind you that Jesus Jesus is the only real thing that gives lasting relief, encouragement, and comfort for our strength to carry on through this life. He's the only thing. I want to remind us, I want to remind you that Jesus is worth building your life upon and that through him alone we can receive the grace and mercy of God. I want to remind you that Jesus is the Son of God, the expressed image, the Bible says, of God the Father, And only through him, only through Jesus, can we know God, the creator. I want to remind you that what you believe and say about Jesus reveals the thoughts of your heart. Listen, what you believe and say about Jesus reveals the thoughts of your heart. Whether or not the spirit of the living God lives inside you. And I want to remind you that Jesus is a wonderful and awesome gift of God's grace to all of mankind, to whosoever will believe in him. And I want to remind you that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, no matter what hard things we're told, no matter what hard things we go through, we can give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because of Jesus. That's what Anna shows us. Because of Jesus, we can give thanks to the Lord. And I want to remind you, lastly, that. Jesus needs to be shared. What did Anna do? She shared. She shared with all those who looked for the redemption. And everybody's looking. Everybody's looking. Jesus needs to be shared with those who have yet not received the redemption of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember these things, not only during this holiday season, when, when your birth is so fresh in our thoughts and in our hearts. But God, that we would take these truths and it would change the way that we think. In other words, God, that it would change our perspective on this life, this wonderful life that you've, been, that you've given us to live. Lord, that it would change our perspective towards the people that we walk in, uh, 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 through with, through this world with, Lord, um, those who are in our lives, those who are next to us in our lives. God, that it would change our perspective overall in regards to this world, Lord, knowing that not only do you have a plan for us, but you have a plan for this world. 
And God, we know, we look forward to that day like Simeon and Anna, Lord, as they waited for your first coming. We look, we look, Lord, with great hope and expectation for your return. And it is, God, that promise, that reminder that fills our hearts with peace this morning. And so, Lord, we love you as our Redeemer. We love you as our Savior. We love you as our friend. God, we love you as our Creator. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.